Welcome to the Build Different Podcast. We are your hosts, Bethany and Sarah, and this is the podcast where we dig deep into the minds of fellow real estate investors and entrepreneurs. We pull back the curtains to learn all of the secrets and strategies on the road to success. We are here with Chi Nguyen. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Thanks for joining us today. So I got the chance to meet you. And, you know, when you meet people, sometimes you just automatically are like, yes, this person's amazing. And that's how I felt about you. And um, I just love everything that you're doing right now. I feel like you're, you've got your hands in like all these different types of investment opportunities and you have like other big goals in mind. But um, for let's start off with what do you do? How do you do it? And do you love it or hate it? (laughs) I love it. Loaded question. (laughs) I know. Um, Well, my name is Chi, like you said. I'm a real estate investor in San Diego. I got my start investing in notes, second position non-performing notes all across the nation. And then I am also a long-term buy and hold single family uh, rental investor, Um, have a few doors in LA and San Diego. Um, I've done a little bit of ground up construction. I'm a private money lender, um, to local flippers. And, uh, I am now the director of asset management for, um, seven E investments. A really amazing. Um, yeah, I work with a really amazing team and we have a regulation, a plus fund and regulation D fund investing primarily in first position non-performing notes. Wow. wow, that's a lot. I know. <laughs> We're gonna have a lot to talk about. Yeah, all of these things that you have going on. Where do you choose to spend most of your time on on a day to day basis? What's your main focus right now? Yeah, my main focus is the fund. Um, seventy investments. It's um, it takes up a ton of time, but in a good way. We have a lot of passive investors that we want to, you know, give a really good return to and give them a good experience. And so that basically takes all of my time. Um, prior to that, a lot of my time was um spent on finding more single family rentals in Southern California, and then also finding more second position non performing notes. Wow. So elaborate more on what exactly that is, because that's a topic we haven't really touched on yet on our podcast too much is like, what is note investing in general? I Note investing basically is, you know, when somebody buys a property, let's say it's a $500,000 property. Um, typically, let's just say they do the normal or not normal, I should just say they put 20% down, which is $100,000, right? And then they go to a bank and the bank lends them the rest of the 80%. So let's say that's $400,000, right? So you then start making as a borrower payments on that loan 30 years amortized. So 360 payments. And sometimes um, borrowers decide to not pay. Maybe something big happened to them um, in their lives and um, they just can't make any more payments. A lot of times those banks will either season the season the note, the note and mortgage for 12 months, meaning they hold on to it for 12 months. And there are probably some people out there who are going to relate if they, if you have a mortgage and you made payments on it for 12 months. And then after a year, you get a letter from your servicer or your bank saying, Hey, we sold your loan. It's been transferred. Please make your payments over here. That's usually what happened is that the bank went and sold your loan to somebody else. And so now you're making payments to a different lender which could be another bank or a hedge fund. And so it kind of goes- same additional, a same initial rate that you had signed yes. when you bought the house. 
Yes, exactly. It's just a different person. So the originating bank makes all of their money off of the points and then you they sell it and then they sell it. Let's say it's Bank of America. They sell it to Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo sells it to Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs sells it to another hedge fund. Um, so it makes it all its way down. Everybody gets a little slice of the pie. The borrower doesn't know any different because they don't. their payment doesn't change. Their amount doesn't change. So it's just kind of um, the life cycle of a loan. And so when loans become non-performing, they get sold and we that's where our value add comes in. So a lot of banks are not prepped or set up to actually take um, a borrower through a loan modification or um, try to make try to work with them for their payments and say like, hey, you're 12 payments behind or 10 payments behind. How can we work to get you caught up? A lot of banks won't do that. They'll either foreclose or they just you know, they just don't have as much of um, of leeway to work with something like that. So that's where we come in and we say, hey, we will look at your financial package, see how much you can afford, and we'll work with you on the payments, either extend the life of your loan in terms of payments or lower your interest rate or um, come up with some sort of payment plan to get you current so that you can get your credit score back up. And um, so you will go in then on these non-performing loans and offer the bank to purchase it off of them so that you then have the extra workload of refinancing or restructuring the loan with the person that owns the house. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't that then make you first position? That is first position, which is what the fund that I work in uh, work with does. And then in second position, you could take the same example. So say it's a $500,000 property, you put $100,000 down, so you get a $400,000 loan. And then let's say over the span of five years, you start to build equity in your home and your home appreciates. So say now the property is worth $800,000 and you're like, hey, actually, I would love to take a cash out uh, uh, sorry, like a, a HELOC or a second position mortgage on my home. So I have the 400000 which has been paid down a little bit over the past five years, plus another, let's say, I don't know, let's make it even numbers, $100,000. So that's the second position. I personally like second position quite a bit because you don't have to deal with insurance or taxes. Um, there's a lot in like code violations, code enforcement. You don't have to deal with a lot of those things because the first position has to worry about it. And then the second position just gets to like hang out. Of yeah. course, then you're like worried. You're just going to hang out in the second position. Um, but no, of course, then you have to then worry about CLTV, right? Combined loan and value and um, make sure that the, the, value of the home covers both both the first and the second so you're at risk if the the market takes a big dump and goes down 30 percent, and then you're like okay well i'm only partially covered or not at all covered but then that's where your due diligence comes into play and you make sure that you're buying in a, a decent market and they have decent equity coverage on the second position because and you do this you need to make sure that you're doing your due diligence because the first position is going to get paid out first. That's the yes. point. And then the second position will either get paid out next and hopefully in full or partial or none at all, depending on how much money's left in the pot, yes. basically. Exactly. First in time, first in line to get paid. Oh, I like it. I like that. First in time, first in line. So if you're buying non-performing notes, how are you making Like, how do you guarantee that they're going to perform then when you buy them to make your money? Or am I just not even understanding 
the concept? No, no, no. That's a great question. No, it's a great question, Beth. Um, yeah, no, we always buy everything at a discount. So when you're buying a non-performing mortgage, you're always buying it at cents on the dollar. You know, um, that's that cents on the dollar has shifted over the last 10 years. So things used to be much cheaper when a lot of people didn't know about note investing, but now that it's a little bit more known, things have gotten more expensive. But you know, the the whole name of the game is sticking in it um throughout the market cycle and then hopefully we'll get better deals. So yeah, no, we'll buy it at a discount. And then of course we'll run it through multiple models, right? So you'll run it through the perform based on whether or not it's performing or not performing, there are multiple things you can run it through. There's a performing model, there's a foreclosure model, there's a bankruptcy model, um, there's a interest only with a balloon model. So you kind of work everything out and then there's a loan modification model, right? And that one's a little trickier because you don't a hundred percent know what the borrower's financial package or financial picture looks like until you're like speaking with them and you make them fi fill out a loss mitigation package. Um, but yeah, we always buy at a discount that then allows us to make a decent return and we won't bid anything that would give us a, a return below what we're we're trying to make for our investors. So do you have different returns based on different assets? Like for example, if you're, you're doing a, you know, second position on a single family residential, do, does your time span then shift to shorter or longer returns? Like do you then yep. have more expect, like do you then increase the return that you want or how yeah. do you base that around? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, we basically, I think the thing where we shift the most is the foreclosure timelines. So in note investing, you actually have to take into account so many different laws because each state is different, yeah. whether you're judicial or non-judicial, like, are you going to have a long foreclosure timeline or a short foreclosure timeline? Is the attorney general in that state friendly to investors or not friendly, you know? And like, are, are there, there good attorneys in that state or bad attorneys? Yeah. All of that comes into play and we're like okay we kind of want x return but actually like the attorney general is really mean doesn't <laughs> so we're gonna like up that return and bid less you know wow. so interesting okay. yeah other that's, factors that aren't necessarily mean. like numerical to analyze do you have a favorite state to do this in based on those factors Everybody loves a non-judicial state. Surprisingly enough, California is one of them. So oh. yeah, California has a short foreclosure timeline under a year, usually five to seven months. If you have the right, yeah, you can do it as, yeah, somewhere around there. It depends on all whether or not the collateral is clean and if there's a fight, anything like that. Um, Texas is great. Georgia is great. Everybody, all note investors always like tackle those states. They really want them. So it always, you always pay a premium in those states, but you're also like, whoa, the foreclosure timeline is three months in Georgia. So I yeah. will deal with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How long have you been doing it? Um, I've been in an investor for three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned it was also very niche and the way you made it sound was a lot like the investment community that we have, you know, here in Southern California, where, you know, the people that do a lot of business, they kind of all know each other and we're all here to like learn from each other, help out or provide other vendors. So I wanted to know, we both wanted to know more about if it's so niche, how did you get into <laughs> something like that? 
Yeah, well, actually, I, I spent a lot of my time going to RIAs, like local RIAs or like conferences and things like that. And so I went to a RIA um, at one point, I think it was in Manhattan Beach or Long Beach. And um, at the front of the room was somebody who was speaking about node investing. And I think that that was my first introduction to it. And it just really clicked with me internally and mentally. I really liked the idea of it. So I uh, decided to pursue it. And I ended up going to a ton of conferences, like note conferences, seminars. And um, I usually mention to people that it's such a small community. I would say that there's like somewhere between 1,500 to 2,000 investors that are active, active about it across the nation that mm -hmm. I would know. Um, that actually do quite a few deals and revolve their capital and keep going. Um, but yeah, I, I, so how do you go about finding these notes? Cause I feel like it's different than, you know, like go, going door knocking and being like, Hey, your second position is it? In yeah. Default? yeah. yeah. Like, what? Do you want a new sister? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll just go to events. And uh, I started off going to events and meeting um, other investors like yourselves, like on the ground and saying, hey, like, you know, and it's all note and like actual full note investors at these events. And um, they'll just have notes to sell me. So I'll buy like a small pool or like onesie twosies, or you'll meet somebody and I can say, hey, I met Beth. She's really cool. Like, hey, Beth, you like first position. I like second. If you find any seconds, let me know. If I have any first, I'll let you know. So just kind of building the relationship with actual other investors typically. But and how are they finding it? Like, how is it yeah. your pool? Yeah, right. So then, and then from the fund level, which is what I'm focusing mostly on these days is like, then you work with larger brokers and the brokers work are just, they've just built a reputation. So everybody knows to go to them. So they'll put out tapes with, I don't know, anywhere between five to $30 million worth of unpaid principal balances. And then you deal at that level at that point. So then you're, you're only, once you get to that level, you're only competing with a handful of other funds, you know, and you kind of know it's not as big of a pool. So it gets a little bit easier. And then you can also call, you know, credit unions and banks and develop those relationships as well. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody who's looking to get into it or for you, when you first started, um, how much did you invest in your first handful of notes? Like what's the What's the capital required to start doing something like that? Oh, I love these questions. You guys are getting into it. <laughs> you guys are everything. I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I um, I invest in notes uh, in my own portfolio in my retirement accounts because then I don't um, you don't get charged normal taxes. You know, does that have to be yes. self directed or any type of? self-directed yeah. Okay. self-directed yeah and there are some IRAs out there that are really um very key or very strong proponents of that and they know how to deal with notes and so they can walk you through everything oh, cool. um yeah so my first uh handful of notes purchase I spent $68,000 on it so or somewhere around there I think I had 68,000 I spent 65 I think it was so I spent almost everything in my investment uh, retirement oh. account yeah I was like you know what I'm doing just go big or go yeah. home <laughs> exactly I was like I'm young you know I was like 29 <laughs> at the time and I was like if I lose everything it's fine like it's fine it's so fine. um yeah I bought I bought four of them and so one of them was like $30,000 and the other was 20,000 and then one was seven and one was 8,000 is what I paid for them. And then um, they were all the bundled, just so I can 
Mm-hmm. All, you, you have Package, to get all of them. them. Some I got people are going to a clearance sale and you're like, you must buy four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, I'm buying four. You should knock down that one for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then what was the return on that in the time frame? She's like, I'm yes. still holding all of them. <laughs> well, I, no, actually. So I, 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 it's really, I don't know. I, I got super blessed because my first set of purchased notes all turned out differently. So I got a little sample of everything. And they, and some people say like, yeah, that's very, it happens very often is that like X amount of percentage will you'll foreclose on and this one will become performing and this one you'll do a loan modification or one will become performing without you having to do a loan modification. Another one you'll have to do a loan modification and then another one will file bankruptcy. So um, I had out of those four, I had one that paid off. So that Mm -hmm. was the $30,000 note. Um, It was $120,000 principal balance, unpaid principal balance, but they hadn't paid in 11 years. So when you don't pay, you get a lot of interest that accrues and then all these late fees. So actually what they owed me at that point in time was $257,000 on a $30,000. Wow. Yes. But I hadn't had proof of concept yet. So I took a discounted payoff or, um, an early payoff. So I, I, I accepted 105,000, um, out of, I really honestly, going back, I would never do that again. I'd be like, no, you owe me, you owe me at least 200. Cough it up. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, but they did pay off 105,000 in five months. So that was a 330 something percent return. Just made all your money back. So even if those other three suck. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So it was great. And, um, and then I paid, $20,000 $20,000 for another one. I think the unpaid principal balance on that one was somewhere between 76 and 82. But then with like late fees and things, she's owed around 105 or 110. Um, but she filed bankruptcy. So she's making her payments um, through bankruptcy right now. And she's still going through bankruptcy. And that's pretty great because her payment ended up being more. It's awesome that she's going through bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not trying to be, she was actually the meanest borrower, but I'm just, (laughs) she was not very nice. She just did it. I I tried really hard to work with her. It was really funny because I was like, listen, like, let's do, I mean, I had my servicer do it all for me, but um, I was like, let's, you know, lower her payment. Let's lower her interest rate. Like, let's work with her. And she was catering like crazy to this. I was catering. Yeah. To her. I was being so nice. It was my first set. And I was like, trying to be really like careful too. And um, she basically told my servicer to like kick rocks yeah kick rocks yeah we'll put it that way <laughs> yeah. yeah and um she basically uh filed bankruptcy the day before foreclosure sale like literally right before foreclosure sale and so she went in front of the judge and the judge was like oh you should let's say that her payment was i was going to offer her like i don't know 650 to 750 pays pay me 750 dollars a month and then the um the judge was like, "Oh, you can you can afford to pay her twelve hundred dollars a month." And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and she and then her attorney came running back to my attorney and was like, "Listen, we're so sorry. Like, can we please work with you?" And we're like, "Well," so then we settled somewhere in between. Um, which she honestly would have been so much better off if she had just, you know, worked with me yeah, and not. Just, yeah, listen to you from the, the get go. Yeah, yeah. Some people can be very stubborn. Yeah, it's and, just you know, an ego thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then, um, and then I had one borrower who was so great to work with. Um, she only became non-performing because, um, she didn't know that she had to, uh, pay somewhere else. She was older. Right. I've so heard that. Yes. I've heard so, that. It sucks. Yeah, it does it's suck. Really I, had, 
And I had that feeling. I had that feeling. I was like, I feel like she just doesn't know where to make payments. Cause it's if you look at her elderly, yeah. yeah, you don't know any better. And then they're like, you have to go online. They're like what? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I took the extra step and got um, a door knocker out there and, you know, was like, Hey, listen, um, you know, your payments have changed. She's like, Oh, she's one of those stick her head in the sand people. Like, I think people are trying to scam me because I'm older. I don't know what to do. This looks like an attorney letterhead, but I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to throw this in the pile of, and then she, she showed the door knocker, like, there's a huge pile of letters that she just doesn't open. She's like scared, you know? Yeah. So, so we were like, listen, we're going to walk you through how to make the payments. And so she made, she started making payments. So she became non, or she became performing without having to um, do a loan modification, which was great. That's good. And then mm-hmm. the last one, we we had to do a loan modification. So we put her on a trial payment plan and, you know, she was um, somebody who had a really good paying job, but just didn't know how to budget, just ate out all the time, never had any. <laughs> and we know because she sends in a loss mitigation package, which is like the financial package that shows all of her bank um bank statements her credit card statements you're like okay yeah you really just you eat out every single meal (laughs) and so um you know there's there's some budgeting here that can take place let's spend thirty thousand dollars in food (laughs) yeah exactly so so we're like okay you know this is a good way to get straight to bankruptcy let's figure out your budgeting skills you know um so we we got her on trial payment plan which is what i typically like to do and i learned it from somebody um actually uh, I learned it from this guy named Chris Seveny, who started the fund that I now work with and oh, for, wow. um, for a trial payment plan. So you basically get the borrower on a 12 month payment plan and they pay 12 payments before you give them a loan modification. Because once you get a loan modification that gets signed, that gets notarized, that gets, you know, executed, recorded, that's mm-hmm. permanent. But like the borrower hasn't shown you that they're committed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Committed to making these payments. Mm-hmm. And so you get them to do a 12, a six to 12 month payment plan. And then you give them a loan modification that lowers their payments and gets them on the right track. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. All of this <laughs> seems like a lot of legwork up front, but then once you get all the pieces in place, it, it does it become pretty passive then? Should be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is a lot of work, but to me, it's really interesting. And a lot of the times it doesn't feel like work, which I think is the key That's, to yeah, the goal, you know. the dream. I have another, I have an additional question. So obviously some of them worked out faster than others. And the ones that become, um, say performing, or you do the loan mod for them, um, that then becomes a long-term hold kind of situation, right? Yes. Do you then choose to hold it because it's a it, depending on the return or do you choose to then repackage it up and sell it to somebody else again? Such a good question. You guys have the best question. <laughs> I love it. It's like you already know what the industry is about. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, for me, I like to hold it because I, most of the loans that I buy from my portfolio are in retirement accounts. So if I'm getting... A decent return. There's no need for me to be super active in my retirement account, especially when all of my uh, my focus is on the fund that I work with with this amazing team. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the fund that we work on, we're always thinking about how are we going to revolve exactly. Yeah, because you just got to look at at what life, at what point in the life of the loan does it make sense to sell it. Um, 
so that you juice your return. Yeah, exactly. And then based on also where the market is, like what are the brokers now showing you in terms of tapes for sale, like product for sale? Is there a ton of product out there that's super cheap? Then yes, like let's get rid of these loans that we're earning a decent return on. We'd be happy to hold them. But if we can, again, up our returns elsewhere, then yes, let's repackage them, sell them in a a little tranche or a little note um, tape and then move on from there. This is, I could literally pick your brain. I know, my brain's going Um, a million miles a minute right now. We hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation with Chi. Be sure to tune in for part two as she dives in further to the struggles and joys of investing in entrepreneurship. Until next time.